Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a long overdue companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we take some time, the second half of the show, to take your live comments and questions. However, we usually don't have enough time to get around all the live comments and questions that get sent in, but I want to make sure if you sent in those tips, you supported the channel, you sent in those questions, I want to make sure you don't have to wait too awful long to get those questions answered. So we gather them up, and we address them here on companion videos and today is saturday august the 28th uh and i am just freshly back from las vegas i got back in from las vegas yesterday of course i was out in las vegas aaron cummings went with me as well and we went out to cover CinemaCon. it was fantastic even though it was very different because of the pandemic and everything it was an absolutely wonderful wonderful convention had a great time. You guys saw we did our live. We got to see a surprise screening of Ghostbusters and Afterlife, uh, which was great. They did a surprise screening of Clifford the Big Red Dog. I skipped out of it. Uh, they showed us like 13 minutes, the opening uh, 13 minutes of uh, the opening 13 minutes of uh, Top Gun Maverick. They showed us like a 10 plus minute uh, uh, scene from uh, the new James Bond film. I mean, there's just tons and tons and tons of stuff. All the videos are up on the YouTube channel. You guys can go and find them there. But one of the things that I didn't get done in Vegas was when, before I left for Vegas, I said, hey guys, I'll do like two or three companion videos from Vegas because I'm going to have lots of downtime. I did not have the downtime that I thought I was going to have. And I didn't end up getting any companion videos done there. So I thought before we get into the John Campy show on Monday, I should probably do one or two companion videos to get a little bit caught up here. So let's start doing that right now. And we'll get things started off here with Bojax, who writes, Hey, John, you said there was a small vocal amount of fans demanding more after the Snyder Cut that soured WB on doing stuff for fans in the future. Why is it that a small minority's voice is louder and more influential than the rest of our voices? It's the old adage, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. I mean, right? I mean, look, it comes down to this. There was a bunch of fans that were asking WB to make a Snyder Cut. So eventually... Warner Brothers said, okay, we'll put up the $70 million so you guys can have a Snyder Cut. We'll create a Snyder Cut for you. Here you go. $70 million. And what happened was, instead of saying thank you, because Warner Brothers didn't need to do that, a bunch of very vocal Snyder fans decided to then turn on Warner Brothers even more and start, now that you've given us this, now give us this, and we're going to start boycotting and review bombing other Warner Brothers movies until you hashtag restore the Snyderverse and blah, blah. And basically, like Warner Brothers was like, oh, that's that's the thanks we get for putting up... By the way, we lost money. We, Warner Brothers, we lost money. We lost a shit ton of money making that Snyder Cut movie for you. Didn't get the viewership or the subscribers for, for uh, HBO Max that we nearly thought we would and we lost a ton of money and the way you thank us is by review bombing our other movies and doing this all this other shit so basically what these this particular group because they don't represent all of the fans they represent a particular demographic this particular demographic of starter kit fans is basically ensuring that the studios will never listen to the fans again because you know oh if we do a little thing for them that we don't need to do that we're going to lose money on Instead of becoming more loyal fans for us doing that for them, they made life miserable for us. 
So we're never going to do anything for them again. And and so it's just, I don't understand their logic. And again, it's like everything else in life. It's the squeaky wheel. It's the people who shout, like people go, we got a million signatures on this. Uh, what do you, what, what are they stupid, the stupid things called again? Petition. We got a million signatures on our petition. Yeah, that means 499 million people didn't want to sign your petition. What does that tell you? Anyway, it is unfortunate because I think if the response had been different, if the response from the, the fan community at large had been, hey, Warner Brothers, like the way they took out newspaper ads and put up billboards, if they did the same thing and says, hey, we the fans just want to say thank you for Warner Brothers. We asked you to make this movie for us. You didn't have to do it. It cost you money and you did it for us anyway. We the fans just want to say thank you. I'll tell you what, the narrative would be different. If, if the reaction, if the vocal reaction from the fan base had been that, I think you'd be seeing a lot of other studios contemplating doing something like that, like what Warner Brothers did. But instead, the reaction has pretty much guaranteed nothing like that will ever be allowed to happen again. Uh, anyway, and it's really unfortunate, Bojacks, but it, it's the old adage. It's the squeaky wheels get all the attention. I mean, that's, that's the way life is. All right, next up. Nathan Henry writes, John. I'd like to say that I really appreciate your insight on things, man. Well, thank you for that, Nathan. I remember being with you when you had under 100,000 subscribers a while back. You deserve to grow uh, and reach a million. Keep up the filth. Well, I'll never reach a million subscribers. I don't make the kind of content that's going to get a million subscribers. I don't make short five-minute funny videos. I mean, I was, and those are awesome. Don't get, don't, it sounded like I was just shit-talking on those. I'm not. I mean, that's awesome, but I don't make those videos. I'm not funny. I, uh, I don't do anything like that. I make very long content and I do it in such a way that, you know, I don't edit in movie clips and I don't like, I just, I don't do, I don't do reaction videos like trailer reactions. I don't do all the things that a lot of other people will have great success doing and that a lot of people will watch on YouTube. I don't do those things, but I don't do them because they're not me. Not because I have a problem with it. Other, I watch other people who make those things and they're awesome, but I just don't do them because they're not me. And if nothing else, everything on my channel is going to be authentically me. And that means for the good and for the bad. So I'll never have a million subscribers. But what I do have is an incredible little corner of the fan community that we talk about movies in a certain way and I love it and I love what I do and I love the people I get to do it for. And, and, uh, and it's great. So thank you for that, Nathan. I really appreciate that, man. All right, next up. We got Underoos who writes, any chance that the emergence mentioned in the last Eternals trailer will lead to new supers like Ms. Marvel? Also, uh, thought it could just refer to the Celestials emerging or the Deviants, perhaps all the above. I mean, when you ever ask, does something have a chance or could, the answer is always yes. It's always yes. Could this be the thing that leads to Ms. Marvel? I suppose it could. I don't know that it's likely. So I'm going to guess no. I don't think I don't think that's the case, but it is possible. I think your other instinct is probably correct, correct there under Roost. I think it really has more to do with the Celestials. And uh, we'll see. We're not too far away from Eternals now. Next up, Marie Seifring writes, Which performance by an animal actor did you like the best? Sandy, who played the truffle-hunting pig in Pig. Uh, Diesel, who played the lead do uh, sled dog in Togo with Willem Dafoe. Uh, about the 1925... Uh, uh, diphtheria serum delivery in Alaska or Reggie who played Goose, the Goose Cat slash Flurkin in Captain Marvel. That's easy. The answer for me is always the dog. And it's the true answer too. I mean, normally it doesn't matter. I'll just say the dog. I'm a dog guy. But really, 
the dog obviously did. I mean, dogs can be trained much better to do that sort of stuff. So I'm going to go with the one from Togo Marie. All right, next up. Ismail Montoya writes, Hey, John, did you see the new set image from Black Panther 2 that showed uh, further clues regarding the debut of Riri Williams, a.k.a. Ironheart? Uh, what are your thoughts about this character introduction that can replace Iron Man? Well, listen, Riri Williams isn't replacing Iron Man. Let's just be clear about that. There's The MCU makes their characters so distinct, there's no replacing them, right? It's just that, you know, some characters move on, new characters come in. Yes, this other character will uh, will wear Iron Man type armor. Yes, but it's not a replacement for Tony Stark. And by the way, Tony Stark will be back. Give it two or three years. Tony Stark will be back. Anyway, and I do mean Robert Downey Jr. He'll be back. But John, he said he was. I don't care. He will be back. You just watch. Anyway, um, there's nothing to think right now. I mean, we, we literally haven't seen a single thing yet to, to really have an opinion about it. I'll just say that, listen, I completely trust Kevin Feige. Uh, I completely trust the director. I completely trust this cast. And if they think this is the good a good direction for them to go in, then I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt until I see it. So until we see more, I, I'm going to withhold any kind of opinion on it. But it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, Ismail. All right, next up. Dangerous D writes, hey, John. I don't know if you know this, but uh, Sonny uh, Chiba, who I believe his first name is actually Sinichi, if I'm if I'm remembering right, if I'm saying that Sinichi is his actual real name, uh, 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 Hattori uh, Hanzo died of COVID. Uh, he was my favorite martial arts artist next to Bruce and Jackie. We'll really miss him. I first saw him in his movie Street Fighter uh, that I also saw. Uh, what was your favorite... Uh, uh, Chiba, I don't even know if I'm saying his name right, movie, R.I.P. Mr. Chiba. Well, yeah, little Street Fighter, I honestly never saw him in much. Or at least I don't remember seeing him in much. Now, Street Fighter was one thing, because that was also like a series of films that we used to like watch back in the day. Like there was Street Fighter, there was like Return of the Street Fighter. I think there was like sist either Sister Street Fighter or Sister of the Street Fighter. I think there might have been another one too. Anyway, but between that, and uh, and then seeing him in like Kill Bill, I I don't really, I'm not really familiar with much more of his stuff other than that. But obviously, whenever you hear about something like that passing away, particularly somebody who's in an iconic movie that a lot of us remember very fondly watching, it's always unfortunate to hear. So thanks for sharing that. Dangerous. All right, next up, James Argento writes. I think the emergence mentioned in the Awakening is the Awakening of the Celestial. Uh, Tiamat, if Tiamat awakens, will use the Earth like how Ego used his planet. The Eternals have to decide whether to save the Earth, led by Cersei, or let it die, uh, team led by Icarus. I don't think so. What If you go, now again, the, the movies are the movies and the comics are the comics. But quite often the movies will borrow from the comics and take themes from the comics. Just because it's in the comic doesn't mean it's going to the way they do it in the movie, but they do often, you know, will borrow from it. In the comics, the Celestials... Now, I'm not a big expert on the history of the Eternals. But the basics are the, the Celestials would often go and judge a world. And if they judge a world to be unworthy or whatever, they just wipe everything out and then seed it again and let life start all over again on it, right? So I have a feeling it has something to do with that. Uh, I, whether or not it does, I'm not sure. I don't think we're going to see the Eternals broken into separate teams. I think the Deviants are going to be the de facto... Um, 
kind of the villains we see most of, but then probably Celestial will end up being the big bad guy behind it all. And by the way, a lot of people are thinking that Kang is the next big baddie of the MCU. I actually don't think he is. And he's going to be around. I actually can't help but wonder, because I can't help but wonder if Celestials are going to be the next big bad of the MCU that maybe ultimately lead up to something like an Avengers 5 or something. I I don't think, I don't know that it's going to be Kang. I'm not definitively, don't misquote me, I'm not definitively saying it's not going to be Kang, not at all. I'm just like, I'm not as convinced of that as a lot of people are. I mean, yes, he was in Loki, and yeah, we're going to see him in Ant-Man, and I think we'll probably see him around a bunch. But I really think it's probably going to be, I'm, I'm leaning towards the Celestials right now, but ask me again after we see Eternals. All right, next up. We got James Lost Gun writes, Hey amigos, as somebody who despises gore and extra violence in movies, the fact that I loved T... T well, you mentioned James Gunn, so I'm guessing you're mentioning the Suicide Squad. Uh, the fact that I love the Suicide Squad this much speaks volumes of how brilliant James Gunn is. What a masterclass of character construction and storytelling, logic and emotion all along. Cheers. Yeah, listen, I have been singing the praises of Suicide Squad from the day that I saw it. I mean, I, I didn't know what we were going to get. Um, I was profoundly moved by that movie. That could be so bonkers ridiculous and yet have really stirring character moments and everything had emotional um, grounding that moved each of the characters in the directions that they went. I just thought it was fantastic. I mean, as a movie fan, I have been really treated the last little while. Like I've just gotten big treat after big treat the last little while. So, cause we've got, we had um, uh, suicide squad, Ryan Reynolds is free guy, uh, Shang-Chi, uh, really, uh, I mean, and Shang-Chi. So I've been, I've just been, it's been a long time since I've been able to see movie after movie after movie that I've really, really enjoyed. And that was of course kicked off by Suicide Squad. I just think what they did with that was absolutely fantastic. All right, next up. Uh, we've got uh, Feige's Lost Acolyte Rights. By the way, I disagree about the complexity of the multiverse alienating audiences. Well, you can disagree all you want. The fact is we get messages into this show alone all the time from people who are saying that they're, it is doing that. So you can believe that, but the fact is many people are already saying that's happening to them. So that's the fact. I mean, that's, it's fact. It's not an opinion. It's fact. It is actually happening. Anyway, um, the writing is to blame. Well, the, that's misunderstanding about the difference between story and writing. Anyway, um, any story is doable if it has an artful teller. Loki had not. Well, I think they did. I, I mean, I didn't love Loki, but I thought they had a pretty good, they did a pretty good job. Anyway, okay dialogue and characters, but super clumsy slash lazy handling of the plot. Cheers again. See, here's the thing. You're trying to separate the story from the people writing the story. It's, it's one and the same. Writing a ridiculously complex idea like multiverse, where literally nothing has any consequences anymore. Nothing, there's no consequences to anything anymore. Like watching, you know, I wasn't a big fan of the first What If episode with Captain Carter, even though I'm a big Agent Carter fan. But I, I did quite enjoy the, the Star-Lord T'Challa one. But even in that, it's, it's pointless. Like, it's, it's just a fun little episode, but it's ultimately pointless. It doesn't mean anything. 
because, okay, that's a story being told in this one of billions of possible realities and things. So it doesn't really mean anything. It has, it has no consequences because it doesn't matter if Nebula in that episode dies or not. We've got Nebula in the other part of the MCU. doesn't matter. It's, it's literally no consequences, no weight, no meaning, nothing. And that's what multiverse is. And to do something as convoluted as multi, that's, that's, that's what it is. Now, a writer can come in and simplify that, but then that's not really multiverse anymore. So, look, the fact of the matter is, it is alienating people. We know that for a fact because we've been here. You guys have seen the messages people are sending in saying, listen, this isn't for me. I, I don't follow this. I don't like this. People writing and saying, I was trying to watch it with my boyfriend or my girlfriend, and they're, they're like, no, 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 I'm out. I mean, it's happening. You can, you can like it or not like it, but it is happening. You can't deny that it's happening because it is. That's fact. To what degree, we're going to have to wait and find out. Now, can it be mitigated? Yes. I think it can be mitigated. But as long as you try to do a concept as convoluted as multiverse, unless you reduce what multiverse really means and redefine what multiverse is, so it's a simpler idea, it doesn't matter who's writing it. I mean, it's the writers coming up with that complexity. So you can't separate the story from the writer right? You can't separate the two. They are what they are. And I, that's why I'm not a fan of multiverse. I think that's why ultimately the comic books themselves have shown over the decades. I remember John Schnepp used to talk about this. Multiverse ultimately always failed in the comics. It always failed in the comics. And so both DC and Marvel at different points in their history had to come up with some big important storyline that got rid of multiverse and brought it all back to like simpler storytelling because it just doesn't work. And that's why I don't like multiverse. I think multiverse is a cheap cop-out. I think it erases any stakes. Oh, Spider-Man died? Okay, we'll just open up a portal and bring the same Spider-Man in from another universe. There, no consequences. All done. Oh, no, we didn't stop Red Skull from blowing up the kitty school. No problem. Just open up a multiverse portal there and let's uh, find a different reality where we were able to stop him before that. It's lazy. I, I seriously, I think multiverse writing is the ultimate expression of laziness because we can't figure out a way to make this happen, have it make sense. Okay. Just make it a multiverse thing there. Everything makes sense. Anything can happen. Oh no. Black Widow died. Oh, don't worry. I'll open a portal to another multiverse and just bring that in there. There. Black Widow's back. It's, it's lazy. I don't like it. Um, but listen, I feel the same way about time travel, right? I also think time travel is uh, time travel in movies is super lazy because there's never been a problem introduced in any movie ever that can't be solved with time travel. Time travel can fix every problem, every single problem. But that doesn't stop me from really enjoying some movies that really do time travel well, right? Star Trek The Voyage Home is a great example of that. Back to the Future is a great example of that. So even though I really don't like time travel being used, I think it's a lazy man's tool for trying to tell a story, I can still very much appreciate it when it's done really well. And I'm really looking forward to Kevin Feige and the team at Marvel making me feel that same way. Because I again, I just don't like the idea of multiverse. It's, it's, it's a terrible, terrible, lazy, consequence-free trope. But if anybody's going to do it well to the point that we can really enjoy it, and even somebody like me... It's going to be Kevin Feige in the focus of Marvel. So let's see how it all turns out. I might end up loving a couple of the things that they do. All right, next up. Uh, let's see. 
Cosmin uh, Nikolai writes, one of two. Hello from Eastern Europe. Well, hello there. Uh, I found out that Central and Eastern Europe will enjoy a new streaming service in 2022, Sky Universal. I think I've heard about this. Many studios under the same umbrella. Showtime, Nickelodeon, Paramount Pictures, Paramount Plus, Original, Sky Studios, Universal Pictures, and Peacock. I think I heard about something like that because I also believe there's something like that uh, called Star in India which for a long time, now for those of you guys who watch in India, you'll have to correct me where I'm wrong here, but I had a bunch of you guys write in and I think like they had a, a streaming service in India like called Star or something like that that had all of Disney's content and a couple of other studios content as well. So it's always really interesting to see how the international markets deal with that sort of thing. I, I'm totally clueless about it, to be honest with you, but it's really interesting to see. I mean, I'm a little bit jealous too. It's like, wait a minute, you can sign up for one service and get Universal and Peacock and Paramount Plus stuff and Showtime all in one thing? Okay, yeah, that makes me a little bit jealous. Makes me a little bit jealous. All right, next up. Uh, Cosman also writes, oh, this is probably part three of that other thing. Uh, in these countries, Albania, Andorra, Bosnia, and Her uh, Herzegovina, Bulgaria, Croatia, Czech Republic, Denmark, Finland, Hungary, Kosovo, Montenegro, Netherlands, uh, North Macedonia, Norway, Poland, Portugal, Romania, Serbia, Slovakia, Slovenia, Spain, and Sweden. Again, if it if that service has everything you're saying it has, that's a damn good deal, dude. That is a damn good deal. I'm I, like I said before, I'm kind of jealous, dude. All right, CinemaCon hype writes one of three. Two theories for Celestials on Eternals. They mentioned seven days for the emergence, probably the end of the world if we go by biblical analysis. I think it's either the Celestials are returning to, to Earth to judge it. We were just talking about that, as a matter of fact. They do it in the comics. Or uh, there is a storyline in the comics that the dreaming Celestial is sleeping on Earth for thousands of years uh, because he wanted to destroy Earth and Eternals and other Celestials to stop him, stranded him to sleep beneath the Earth. The emergence could be the awakening of this celestial that in the comics was provoked by the deviants as they wanted to cause chaos. And once the celestial wakes up, it's the end. Or it simply could be the celestial arriving to judge their experiment. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, I'm not familiar with that storyline. Now, the one about the celestials judging Earth, that I'm familiar with. I'm not familiar with the storyline about there being a sleeping celestial on Earth and the deviants wanting to wake them up. Now that you say it, I mean, that would fit in with what we saw in the trailer. I think the other idea fits in well with the trailer too, but it's not a bad hypothesis because again, I mean, again, I'm not familiar with this story in the comics, but that does fit. Like, cause what are the deviants trying to do? What are they trying to do? Maybe they are specifically trying to awake a celestial. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting concept, CinemaCon hype. I will keep my eyes open for that. Thank you for bringing that up. Well pointed out. All right. Next up, we've got uh, Kara Black, who writes, If the classic video games of Knights of the Old Republic 1 and 2, along with the Old Republic, get adapted into live action, would you rather them be three Lord of the Rings-length trilogies or a lengthy Disney Plus show covering the stories of all three games? Well, I think it's... Honestly, Kara, I think the, the, the question is moot because I don't think that's ever going to happen. Um, I don't think they're ever going to turn their Star Wars video games into movies. So I... I think it's kind of pointless. However, let's entertain it for a second. If they did, I always, very, very rarely, I will on occasion, but it's rare that I'll prefer the idea of a show or a series over a movie. I just like the the art form of movie and the storytelling 
of movies better than I do TV shows. That's just me. So I would prefer it done in movie format um, if they did it. But again, I think it's kind of moot because I, I don't honestly think that's ever going to happen. That reminds me, I got to load up the old Republic and start playing that again. I, it's been a, it's been a while since I played it. Anyway, uh, CinemaCon hype writes one of two. Eternals, Deviants, and Mutants are closely related in the comics. Yeah, we talked about that on the John Campus show last week. They are the result of genetic experiments performed by Celestials who created the X-Gene while on Earth. And I believe we could see that play out in a post credit scene in Eternals. Since the Celestials may play a big part in Eternals, I believe we will see a post credit scene where we either see the Celestials creating the S-Gene years ago, proving they exist, for years, or we will see the creation of the X-Gene in modern times. It's possible. It is, however, unlikely, but it is possible. But here's the thing. Either one of those options does not address the main problem of how you bring X-Men and mutants into the MCU. Because the very heart of the whole idea of X-Men is the lifelong friendship of Char- or the long lasting friendship of Charles Xavier and Eric aka Professor X and Magneto who long ago back in the day were brothers they fought side by side but they started to develop different ideas about what was best for mutant kind and as Stan Lee pointed out Charles and Magneto became representations of uh, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. They both wanted kind of the same thing, but they just saw totally different paths to getting there. And, you know, Charles's point of view was finding out and fighting for humanity and living alongside them and working with them. Whereas Eric's was, they saw them as homo superior, that we should either be ruling them or at least be segregated from them and have our own kingdom sort of idea. And when, if you just say that the X gene is just being created now, you undermine and undo all the the primary, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The primary pillars of what the X-Men mythology and history is. You get, you take it all away. It's, it's like doing a Superman movie, but saying Superman was actually created in a laboratory in San Diego Like you take away, he's an alien of a fallen civilization that was destroyed through their own pompousness and arrogance. And he was sent here to be like, if it's taking all that away about the X-Men, just saying, okay, mutants just came into existence. Now you're taking away all of that pillar mythology that makes X-Men what they are. Now, if you try to say in the MCU that they have been around all this time, Then you ask the question, well, where the hell have they been? How's the world never known about them? Well, they've kept themselves secret. Well, but that's not how mutation works. You know, somebody who's a mutant, their their mutant genes kick in around their teenage years, and they they are they just express themselves. Some kid's gonna be in the middle of school someday and lasers are gonna fire out of his eyes. You can't keep that quiet. So again, I don't know how you solve the mutant X-Men problem. And that problem is how do you actually bring them into the MCU in a way that makes sense and maintains the primary, pivotal, pillar-like mythology of what the X-Men are and have it all make sense? And I don't know what the answer is. But 
doing it with this celestial thing, neither one of those options really address that. So again, I don't know. I, I am, I, I look, that's why I don't get paid the big bucks like Kevin Feige. They'll figure out a way to do this, but I have no idea how to do it properly. Honestly, I, I'm one of these assholes who's like, I'll point out a problem, but I don't have a potential solution. There is a big problem with bringing the X-Men and mutants into the MCU. There's a huge problem. And I don't know what the answer is. So I'm not going to sit here and say the way they need to do it is like this. No, no, I don't have an answer. I really don't. So I'm just going to have to wait and see what Kevin Feige comes up with. All right, next up. Sam Fisher writes, What is the likelihood we will see Jeffrey Wright as the Watcher in a live-action movie as either the voice of Uatu, the Watcher, or him disguised as a human? I wouldn't be surprised if he shows up during the final showdown with Kang years from now as a deus ex machiai. Honestly, I think it's unlikely. I really do. I think it's very, very unlikely that we'll see uh, Jeffrey Wright, who is doing the voice of the Watcher in the What If series. So he kind of narrates that as the voice of the Watcher. But I really doubt we're going to see him in it. I, I honestly don't think we will. Again, I'm saying think. I'm not saying I know. I don't have a bat phone to Kevin Feige who has told me, yeah, John, I can tell you with 100% certainty, Jeffrey Wright's not going to be in on any of our live action stuff. He never told me that. I'm just guessing. So it's, my guess is we won't see him in there. So, yeah, I don't think so. I, I, I think it's pretty low. So, and I don't think we need him. To be honest, I mean, I love Jeffrey Rush. Don't get me wrong, but we don't need Uatu the Watcher in the MCU. I, 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 I'm just fine not having that character. All right, power is power rights. Applause for Greg's 16-part comment on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That was last week. Yeah, a, a viewer of ours, Greg, wrote in like this very impassionate defense of the TV show Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I appreciate. I disagreed with, but I really appreciate it. Uh, for 16-part comment on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I don't care about the show, but he subverted my expectations. I was sure we were in for a few minutes of stumbling through bad grammar and weaving through out-of-order uh, out comments. Good job using Notepad, Greg. Yes, Greg, by the way, Greg did exactly what people need to do when they're sending in longer questions. Write it all out in Notepad or a Word document first. So that way, when you send in the segments, it's not like you get part one and then five other questions from somebody else and then part two. Like you're able to fire them all off because you composed it out first. And Greg, again, I disagree with Greg about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think it's a piece of garbage show. I think it's absolutely shit. But there it has its fans and people who really love it. And Greg wrote a really good defense of the show, why he was passionate about it and all that kind of stuff. And he wrote it out eloquently. It made sense. Not all of them always do. And he made sure he like he wrote it all out and drafted it first. He did it perfectly. And I really appreciated it, too. And I'm glad you're pointing it out, Powers Power, because it deserves a little bit of a shout out. All right. Next up. Fanimator writes, hey, John, I was wondering how you would rank the Star Wars movies from worst to best. My ranking would be The Phantom Menace, uh, Attack of the Clones, uh, The Rise of Skywalker, The Force Awakens, Solo, The Last Jedi, The Rise of the Sith. Uh, Rogue One, Return of the Jedi, A New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back, uh, Strikes Back, best for me. Uh, time for the Campia Classroom or ranking video? No, I generally don't do. Just so you know, don't bother writing and asking me to rank things. But I've already said my rankings of Star Wars a million times, so I'll say it again. It basically goes down to like this: There's the original trilogy, which is far and above everything else, right? And the best of which is Return of the Jedi it, to me. But there's the original trilogy. Then you have everything else except for The Rise of Skywalker. And then down in the bottom tier, you have the prequels, except I would put Revenge of the Sith above The Rise of Skywalker. Okay, so that's that's generally how I break it down. Original trilogy, 
everything else except for The Rise of Skywalker, which goes down just below Revenge of the Sith. So that's how I would personally kind of rank them out. All right, next up. Uh, Anonymous writes, one of two. I simply don't have enough words to express my love for In the Heights. I loved In the Heights, and I've never seen the Broadway show. I've never seen it. Never listened to the music, nothing. And I loved it. Anyway, uh, I don't have enough words to express my love for In the Heights. I was completely unfamiliar with the play, but after the past year and a half, I personally needed to see a simple movie about community and being good to each other. Uh, Two of two. I've seen it only once through HBO, but I've listened to the soundtrack too many times to count in the past seven weeks. I can safely say it's one of my all-time favorites. What's a movie you've seen and couldn't stop thinking about for weeks afterwards? Oh, I, I, I can't go into that. It's dozens. Dozens. Uh, the, the Mr. Rogers documentary, The Help, Schindler's List. I mean, I've, I've literally there are dozens of films that, that's done that for me. It's really unfortunate, too, because In the Heights is magical. I loved it. Like literally, I'm not, it wasn't hyperbole when I said that after we saw it, Ann and I literally, as the credits started to roll, and I got up and we started dancing in the aisle. We told, we literally did. Um, I love that movie. It completely and utterly flopped. Completely and utterly flopped. Mostly because of the HBO nonsense. There are other reasons as well. I mean, it's not Hamilton. Everybody thinks Lin-Manuel is a big star. He's not. All right? Lin-Manuel Miranda is not a huge audience-drawing star. Hamilton is. The show will draw people in. And listen, you attach Lin-Manuel Miranda to something, I will pay attention because I know his talent is great. He's going to bring some great stuff to it. But we're lying to ourselves and we think he's just his name alone is going to draw in an audience. It doesn't. It was filled with mostly faces people didn't recognize and music numbers that most people didn't know. But most importantly, HBO stabbed that movie in the back by putting on an HBO as well as in theaters. And so it totally flopped. You add all those things together and it totally flopped. It's really unfortunate too, because that was a great movie, a great movie that deserved better. Totally deserved better. Anyway, uh, next up, uh, Johnny Weiner writes, so I know you didn't watch What If. I did watch What If. I've watched, I mean, I haven't seen the third episode yet. Ann and I are actually going to, because I've been in Las Vegas. Ann and I are going to watch the third episode tonight. So I haven't seen the third episode yet. I've seen the first two though. Anyway, so I know that you don't watch What If, but this one episode of T'Challa as Star-Lord is so great. It has so many surprises, especially the big guy. Uh, what a wow moment and a lovely send-off to the late Chadwick Boseman. I wonder if you saw it. If so, uh, hey, cha-cha. Yeah, it was cute. Listen, it, it was It was entertaining. I certainly liked it more than episode one, but again, it's totally pointless and meaningless. It has no meaning to anything. The one thing that annoyed me about that episode was that Thanos couldn't take on two members of his Black Order. I mean, he could have wiped them out easily without an Infinity Gauntlet. Thanos could have taken those two out easily. So the fact that they had him get beat by just two members of the Black Order was rather silly to me. But other than that, it was, a, it was exactly what a what-if should be. It's totally pointless and meaningless. It's just a fun, entertaining little story. Uh, an, imagina- an imaginary story. Just, hey, what if this had been the case? Boom, played out, and it was really nice. I, like I said, I wasn't a big fan of the first episode, of the Agent Carter one, because all the first one was was tell the same story, except instead of Steve getting in the capsule to become Captain America, Sharon Carter got in the capsule. 
And everything else kind of plays out in a similar way with some completely identical shots to the original Captain America movie. It's like, meh. I mean, it wasn't bad, but nothing to write home about. The one with T'Challa and Star-Lord had its own personality. It, it was its own original story. And uh, I appreciate it for what it was. Again, I don't get, I don't freak out about it because, it's, again, it's just a stupid, pointless little what-if stories. It's completely meaningless. But it was totally adorable. It was adorable. It was cute. And it made my heart smile hearing Chadwick Boseman's voice again. That made my heart smile. So I, I did really, really appreciate that part about it. All right, next up. Uh, Deshaun writes, Hey, John, I hope you're having a great day. I am having a great day. I'm back home with Anne. It's always, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like going to these conventions and everything, but I get real grumpy when I'm away from Anne for like more than 48 hours. Like in the first 24 hours, I'm like every married guy. Woohoo, I'm a bachelor life again. Yeah, bacheloring it up. After 48 hours, I'm like, I just, I, I get irritated by everything and everybody. If, if I, it's like, Anne, Anne's a part of me now. And when you take a part of me away from me, I get grumpy. I think that's the best way to put it. I start to get grumpy and irritable and I don't feel right. And I, I just, I can't be away from Anne for all that long. Anyway, that being said. It's great being home. It's great being with Dan again. Had a great time in Vegas. Don't get me wrong, but it was really good to be home. Anyway, uh, my question is, where the hell is the Hawkeye trailer? Why the hell would we have one right now? Anyway, I know Disney got a, a lot going on, but the show comes in November and we don't even have a cool promo poster or anything about the show. Dude, it's a TV show. It's not a movie. And it's still August. September, October, November. I mean, it's still like three, two and a half, three months away. This is not how you don't put out trailers for TV shows months and months and months in advance. This is a TV show. It's not a movie. So don't worry about it. And not to mention, yeah, they're focusing their marketing efforts on other things right now, particularly Shang-Chi, which is coming out next week. So yeah, don't, don't worry about it. And don't always remember they handle the marketing of TV shows differently than the way they market their movies. So yeah, don't worry about it. I, I honestly don't care that we don't have a, a Hawkeye trailer now. I wouldn't care if we didn't get one till like three weeks before the show came out. I'd be perfectly fine. If you put out the first previews and everything for it, like three weeks before the show came out, that would be perfect. It's not a movie. It's a show. So they're going to handle the marketing a little bit differently. So don't worry about it. Honestly, Deshaun, don't worry about it. We'll get, we'll get marketing material when the time is right. There's just no point in having it out right now, as far as I'm concerned anyway. But I'm getting curious about the show. You know, I've, I've never been interested in either a Black Widow or Hawkeye standalone uh, properties. Even though I love each of the characters in the MCU, I've never been interested in them having their own solo properties. But in the weeks leading up to Black Widow, in the months leading up to Black Widow, I found myself getting at least a little bit interested, right? I'm feeling the same way about Black or about Blackhawk, about uh, about uh, Hawkeye. I am starting to get a little bit interested. I'm not super excited, but but I am getting interested in seeing what they do. So uh, just, just be patient. It's coming. It's coming, my friend. It's coming. All right. Next up, uh, Dro writes. Hey, John, uh, worst movie, best movie idea. We have a podcast, of course, called Best Movie, Worst Movie that we haven't done in a long time because, you know, one of the guys on our show, Cody Miller, he's an Olympic swimmer. He was doing 
you know, prepping for a year for the Olympics, but now that's behind us. We're getting ready to do more best movie, worst movie. Anyway, uh, best worst movie of the entire pandemic. That's not a bad topic for a show, actually. When it hopefully ends, lots of hidden gems as well as a lot of duds dropped. You know what, Dro? That is a great idea. I'm going to pitch that. Actually, I'm going to write an email tonight to Rob and, and Cody and say, what would you think about this as our opening topic, the best and worst movies of the pandemic era so far? Because honestly, who knows how much longer we're going to be in this thing. But at least for now, best and worst movie of the pandemic era up till now. That's a really good suggestion. We may not do it as our first one back, but I think we're definitely going to do it. It's a great one. Well done, Dro. All right. <coughs> Next up. Dangerous D writes, uh, Hey, Rob answered a question that I posed. What if J.K. Rowling sold her Harry Potter universe, much like George Lucas did? He said that it wouldn't be the same. Uh, you can't build a world without J.K.'s input, but Star Wars is better than ever without George Lucas. What's the difference? Well, I wouldn't say... I wouldn't say that Star Wars is better without George Lucas. I mean... It's probably better without George Lucas today. Like they, they've never made Star Wars as good as the original, uh, as as good as the original trilogy. But then George Lucas, at some point along the way, lost his way, and we got the prequels. But whatever. Um, I think it's completely a complete misnomer to think that somebody else can't come in and pick up the baton and carry it on next, right? Like James Bond, you know, like No Time to Die wasn't made by anybody who was involved in the original James Bond movies. And yet is one of the best ones they've ever done. Um, so, yeah, this whole notion, I, I'll disagree with Rob on that. The notion that no one else, now that, now that J.K. has built this world, this wizarding world of Harry Potter, the idea that nobody else could possibly now come in and pick up for her and carry on, I, I don't agree with that at all. I don't agree with that at all. It's like saying, oh, if uh, Babe Ruth isn't on the Yankees anymore, the Yankees can never be great. Well, the Yankees have won a lot of World Series without Babe Ruth. They, they, they carry on. They carry on. So this whole notion sometimes that unless the original creator is still there, because guess what? The original writer of Dune has nothing to do with this new movie coming out by Denis Villeneuve. He's not involved. But the movie looks effing awesome. So, yeah, I, I will disagree with... Uh, I will disagree with Rob on that. I think, yes, you very, you very much can carry on. Uh, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter without J.K. She she built that world, man. She built it. She laid the foundation. She built it up. And now somebody else can come in and build on top of what she built. And then eventually that person will move on and somebody else will come in and build on top of what they built. So, yeah, I mean, it could also be disastrous. It could be terrible, but it could also be great. So, yeah, that's kind of my take on it at any rate. And I say that as not a big Potterhead. I'm not a huge Potterhead. I appreciate the Harry Potter movies, but I'm not a huge Potter fan. But yeah, I totally think they can carry it on. All right, next up. Luke1234 writes, What is a tiny detail that you appreciate when film fans do correctly? Hmm. Uh, for me, 
it's when they use the uppercase C in RoboCop, as a lot of people incorrectly use the understandably uh, so write it as RoboCop with a lowercase C. Um, I'll be honest with you, Luke, ain't none of that matters to me. <laughs> I don't care about that at all. I'm not going to lie to you, brother. Um, I think for me, when the, the part I get most proud of film fandom is when I see film fans debating who understand that film is subjective, right? Because today, especially online, is you like that movie? Well, then you're an asshole who hates babies and you kick puppies and blah, blah. You didn't like that movie? Well, you're a this, this, and this, and you do sexually inappropriate things with your cousins and blah, blah, blah. Like it's, I love seeing film fans get in a debate with like, you don't like my favorite movie of all time? Are you nuts? Aw, dude. And you know, and then they're good about it because they understand, hey, that's just our opinions about it. It's fine. I can be shocked. Like somebody comes to me and says that they hate the original Star Wars. I'm like, oh, dude, that sucks. Really? You don't like the original Star Wars? All right. Okay. You know, it's, but, you know, it's, it's become so people make it a part of their own weak self-perception that, oh, if you say you don't like a movie I like, you're therefore saying that I have bad taste. You're attacking me. If you say you don't like that movie, you're saying you don't like me. You're attacking me. Like that's, that's a symptom of a weak minded person, but there's a lot of those out there. Whereas other people, like I love it when I see film fans debating with each other and like they're literally talking about their favorite movie of all time and the other people literally think it's one of the worst movies ever made and they can smile about it and have a passionate discussion about it, but it's all good, right? I get, I, I feel particularly proud of film fandom when I see that. that that's, that's just me. Uh, thanks for asking, man. All right, next up. We got uh, Automation X writes, one of three. Hey, John and Co., Love the show. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. I'm a huge fan of fantasy action movies, but I also love the pure car chase movies. So I just wanted to share some great car movies besides the obvious ones. Uh, one, No Man's Land, 1987, which I think is the inspiration for Fast and the Furious. Two, Gone in 60 Seconds. You know, I've never been a big fan of Gone in 60 Seconds, but I'm always surprised by, pardon me, I'm always surprised by how many people actually really love that movie. So I'm, I'm kind of in the minority. I don't hate it. Don't get me wrong. I don't hate Gone in 60 Seconds, but I've never thought it was all that special, but a lot of people do. Anyway, uh, 1974 and 2000, 1974 version is the best car movie ever, in my opinion, a must watch. Uh, one, uh, one car was used and restored over and over again for this movie. It is now in a museum. Three, Convoy, uh, 1978, awesome music and Convoy of Trailers, wrecking havoc all over. The Vanishing Point, a, you're, come on, you said not the obvious ones. The Vanishing Point, I I think there's a lot of people that just kind of understand. That's like the, the one, right? Anyway, uh, 1971, a movie from the muscle car era with uh, movie length car chases and cliffhangers, uh, RT. Five, Death Race, one and two and three, 2008 through 2013. Awesome post-apocalyptic car race movies. Yeah, listen, you don't get a lot of great car chases anymore. There was, there was like, there's a couple of great ones that come to mind. Um, there was Death Proof, a movie I really don't like. I personally think it's Quentin Tarantino's worst movie, but the car chase scene in it was awesome. Like, totally awesome. Another one which I really didn't like was Extraction that was on Netflix. I actually think it's a very bad movie. But there's a car action sequence in it that is really remarkable. 
like really, really top shelf. Um, but you're talking about more car movies in general. Yeah, you don't get a lot of like car things anymore. It doesn't happen a lot these days. It doesn't happen a lot. Nice list, man. Thanks for throwing that in there. All right. And we're going to end things off here today with one from a Christopher Rosado. And Christopher Rosado writes, Hey, John. So Disney only going to screen Sang-Chi at CinemaCon. No presentation or anything. Also, what presentation are you most excited to attend at CinemaCon this week? So obviously we haven't done any of these things since I left for CinemaCon. So this was a question that came in before I left for CinemaCon. Uh, yeah, Disney did not do a presentation this year. Now, Disney says... It's because they wanted to be cautious because of the pandemic. We all know that's bullshit. They have been attacked very hard and justifiably so for their ignorant, stupid day and date release premium access on Disney plus bullshit and their butt hurt about it. And Bob Chapek being a giant fucking tool uh, decided that we're just we're going to take our we're going to take our ball and go home. So instead, they still want to promote their movie Shang-Chi, so they sent Shang-Chi to be viewed there. Uh, but no, Disney didn't do a presentation. Everybody else did, and they all did a really good job. They all did a really, really good job. From MGM, Sony, Paramount, Warner Brothers, Universal. I mean, they all did terrific presentations. But uh, yeah, Disney decided uh, not to take their things. And you know, when I call Bob Chapek a giant fucking tool, uh, I'm, I'm being overly harsh. I, I am not a fan of how he's done the job so far. I think he's done a very bad job. That doesn't mean I don't think he can turn it around. He can turn around. I mean, if he's open and he he's willing to learn lessons from early mistakes, because listen, we all make mistakes early when we get a new job, right? Like we all make early mistakes. I'm not saying he can't turn it around. But right now, I think he's done a pretty piss poor job as a CEO of Disney. That's just my opinion. What the hell do I know? But that's just my opinion. All right. Uh, next up. Uh, Sam Fisher. Oh, I said that was going to be the last one. We'll do Sam Fisher's and then we'll wrap it up. My pop obsession continues. I just ordered the whole line of Eternal Pops, which includes a 10-inch uh, Arashem, uh, the judge, adds to my collection of, that's one of the Celestials, adds to my collection of Adam's Family Pops, 90s and 2019 movies, Queen Pops, the band, and original X-Men celebrating 80 years of Marvel plus others. Listen, Sam, I'll tell you what. I am big on uh, Pops. I don't have them in my shot anymore. I used to have like a ton of them in my shot, but I literally own hundreds of these things. They're a lot easier to get into than say Hot Toys because a Hot Toy can run you anywhere from, you know, 250 bucks to like 450 bucks each. Whereas a Pop run you about 10, 11, 12 bucks. So there's a lot easier of a habit to get into. But I ended up over the years, I've got hundreds of these things. I got hundreds of them. I'm actually thinking about starting to give some away. I'm actually thinking about giving some away. Like maybe once a week, I'll do a giveaway on the show. I'll do one of my pops. And I don't know why anybody would want me to autograph it. But if you want me to autograph it, I'll autograph it. And maybe we'll do a giveaway a week of one of my pops or something like that. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. But I, I share your love of the pops, Sam. There, it's a much more affordable one than the hot toys. Uh, and uh, yeah, you and I both are into those. All right, guys, listen. There is still more to come from uh, also Sam Fisher, Anonymous, World's Greatest Detective, and others. Do not worry. We're going to do another companion video tomorrow before we get into the John Campus show on Monday. So come on back and check for another companion video tomorrow. But for now, that'll do it for this installment of the companion videos. Guys, thanks so much and to all of you 
who, number one, for your patience that we didn't have any regular John Campia shows this week, but for all of you guys who watched our coverage of CinemaCon, I'm amazed how many of you guys watched. I mean, it is crazy. Aaron and I had a fantastic time doing it. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and watching those and participating in the conversations. And uh, we look forward to getting right back into it with the John Campia Show on Monday. So again, guys, thanks for being here. Special thank you to all you guys who sent in these live comments and questions. Number one, because you supported our channel and we are all so grateful for your support, but you also gave us great fun things to talk about. And all of us at the John Campia Show are so very, very grateful for your guys' support. Okay, guys, that'll do it for me. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.